Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast for one week season, reviewing JM to Win's player grid week 11 in the NFL. And it is a doozy on DraftKings, boys and girls. And we have answers, hopefully, to the questions that you are asking. Last week for me, I, I suffered through the 4 p.m. games watching money go down the toilet and just missed uh, cashing in all my, I didn't play much cash, but in all my single and three entries, I made a move right before lock to go down to Winston and up from Josh Reynolds to supposedly say for AJ Brown, it was about a 15, 17 point difference. And that was the difference between uh, about a break-even day and a pretty not great day. Uh, so I dug into a little bit of my savings that I got from uh, that I got from my big win uh, on uh, the showdown slate, and we move on to week eleven. It is a really interesting week. We're not going to do a long uh, teaching session today. What we're going to do is we're going to get into the slate and maybe cover it a little more in depth. And then at 9.15, we will have JM to win. We also have the injury doc uh, with some injuries. We'll play that right around 9 o'clock. But between now and then, it's me and my good friend Mark Garcia at HiloFF. On Twitter, if you're not following him, you should. He is gracious. He is kind. He answers questions all week, and I pretty much don't. So um, definitely give Mark a follow, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Todd from PA. That's Todd with one D. If you follow me during the pod, I will see it. I will follow back. If you are someone who listens a lot and I haven't followed you back, DM me. You should be able to DM me and I will follow you back. We are a family, as JM to win always says. And my sincere hope is that we help you win money and become better at fantasy, especially daily fantasy. Uh, Mark, welcome back. Uh, nice to have you on the show. Uh, damn glad to be here as always, Todd. What's up, OWS Nation? OWS Nation, I like that. Yeah, I can't call it the same as Jam calls it. I mean, I know, I, I it just doesn't feel <laughs> right when I do it. Yeah, right. I think about that all the time. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. It just, it's just not something that I, 
I feel comfortable doing it. It's so funny that you feel the same way and we've never talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can just tag OWS nation. That'll be our thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe. Yeah. You do that. All right. Cool. <laughs> All right cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I think I'm going to create my own character. It's going to be Kenyon Drake Jordan. And I'm going to let everyone marinate on that. Um, all right. So I like that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good one. So I am ready to discuss this slate. And, you know, let's face it, man. This player grid, I, we've never seen a player grid like this. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And it kind of sums up pretty well the, the state of the slate. Uh, so the edges I think that we're going to uncover through, you know, JM's edge, his pod, his player grid. And then tonight uh, should help uh, our fam out or our nation out. I should say, sorry. As tight as the pricing is uh, Mark, the, to me, there's plenty of uh, reasonable, good priced uh, people that, that might not have the ideal tier one or tier two floor that we're looking for or the full tier three ceiling that we're typically looking for. But uh, I'm interested to see how you're attacking the slate. Uh, But let's just start with Lamar Jackson, as he is the only player that got to tier one status. Last week was a disaster for me, avoid, you know, changing away from him. I still had him in a good amount of GPP, but that took my ownership of him down, you know, taking him out of my main lineup, took me down from about 45% down into the 20s. Um, I didn't have a lot. Like I said, I didn't play a lot of cash last week. It was a, a, a week where I, I wanted to play that uh, $100 GPP, as we discussed. And uh, my one Lamar Jackson lineup in that contest uh, actually did very well. It didn't go too deep, but it 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 turned it got me two hundred and fifty dollars. So, um, what are your thoughts on Lamar? He's seventy seven hundred on DraftKings. Um, I, right now, he's in my lineup. I mean, I played around with moving to different quarterbacks, uh, but I found money in other places. Uh, so, uh, right now, Lamar's uh, squarely in my main lineup. Yeah, for me, I actually have the opposite feeling. Um, And it's majorly due to just finding a cheaper option that I feel as confident in. And then the the price gap. So, I mean, 800 bucks between him and Drew Brees down at 6.9, that's a big deal at the quarterback position. You know, we talk about how flat scoring quarterback position is. That whole idea is kind of getting turned on its head a little bit this year where we have, you know, the top four or five guys are showing consistency and are basically separating themselves from the pack. So it's a little bit less flat of a position this year. That being said, I think we can capture the same upside in other places and get valuable, valuable savings. You know, I'm not, I'm not advocating for going all the way down uh, this week at quarterback, but there's a couple of guys in that mid range that I really do like uh, to provide the same type of floor and ceiling that we should see from L Jacks this week. <laughs> yeah. I think there's some really good uh, lower priced players. 
I think Kyle Allen is certainly a very reasonable one. When we look at the player grid, though, you know, there is Drew Brees, there is Finley. Did I miss anyone lower (laughs) on the grid? Um, Yeah, he talked, Jam talks about, um, I guess you got him, Finley. That's yeah, and, so and, and you know what? Let's back let's let's back up a bit because JM is not advising one main lineup this week. Where I feel really good about the team that I'm got right now for a single entry, so I am going to be playing single entry in cash uh, a decent bit. Um, let's see quarterbacks. Yeah, so Kyle Allen, you know, he says just missed tier three, and Matt Ryan. I think Kyle Allen is going to have more ownership simply because of the fact that so many Panthers seem to be underpriced. And and there's in a week where there's very few values, there seems to be a lot of Panther values and people are going to want to play McCaffrey. So I, I think that you're going to see Kyle Allen in double digit ownership, which makes to me, the guy that I'm focused, even though the savings are there with Kyle Allen, I find that there's a lot, you know, there's places where I want to play people this week. And then there's like just places where I don't like the 6,000 wide receivers. It's just no one I'm too excited about. I know there's some people that are excited about the John Browns or the Michael Gallups. Uh, I'm not there myself, but I think that Matt Ryan is a guy, you know, projected ownership about 8%. Um, I, I I like Matt Ryan because push comes to shove. He's a better quarterback than Kyle Allen. And as bad as uh, Atlanta's defense has been, uh, you, you know me, I, I would rather bet on talent than matchup. Yeah. Especially and... if, if, especially if matchup is going to garner ownership. Yeah, and that's that's the guy who I'm comfortable with paying uh, a little bit less. Uh, you know, he's at 6,200, 1,500 savings coming from the quarterback position. When you feel as strongly about that player you're paying down for, providing the same type of floor and ceiling, that's huge. Uh, especially like we talked about earlier with the flat scoring at the position and all that. Well, those two guys are, you know two of the top four or five guys that you can count on for those floor and ceiling. And Matt Ryan had what five, six weeks in a row going over 300 yards. That's pretty hard to do. Um, And that's just due to the state of that team. And now you start looking at, uh, I think, I think people are going to shy away from Matt Ryan too, with the offensive injuries to that team with Hooper being out with Devonta Freeman being out. What that does to me is I don't think that, offense is going to change any that's just increasing or I guess decreasing um, tightening up that distribution of targets and that's something that I'm always on the look for so I like that offense a lot and I'm going to have I'm backing up a little bit I'm attacking the slate similarly to you are I like where I'm at uh, with the edge that I think you can gain this week in narrowing down my player pool enough to where I'm going back to three max uh, this week pretty heavily so uh, Matt Ryan's going to be in two-thirds of those lineups for me uh, for all the reasons that we just talked about. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, the other reason that Matt Ryan's going to be lower-owned is that Brian Hill plans on being chalky. 
And I heard someone yeah. say, why would Brian, Brian Hill be chalky? We haven't been playing Devonta Freeman. Well, it's because Carolina has been crap against the run. Uh, but, you know, it, it, from what I'm reading, Kenyon Barnier, Barner is going to be the pass-catching back. And if mm-hmm. they get behind, which they certainly could in this matchup on the road, if they get behind, I mean, you know, I know I missed out on Wayne Gallman week, but Wayne Gallman, you know, ha- had a pass catching role that it doesn't look like Brian Hill's going to have. So I-, I think that Brian Hill at, you know, awesome. Oh, uh, has him at 30% ownership. We've got him at about 18% ownership. I, I you know, I, I think that's going to lower Matt Ryan's, uh, and losing Austin Hooper is going to lower Matt Ryan's ownership. Let's move on to Derek Carr. Uh, Derek Carr is projecting very well uh, against a bad Cincinnati team, but for the opposite reason that I'm not interested in, well, the same reason, actually, that I'm not interested in Brian Hill, uh, I'm not really interested in Derek Carr, a, a guy who's shown no ceiling on a team that would rather run the ball uh, as bad as Cincinnati has been, uh, you know, I just, I, I, you know, I'm not playing Derek Carr with ownership. I, I, I just don't see the leverage there to where, you know, you're going to want to have double the field with Derek Carr. No chance. Completely with you there. I have no interest. Um, I'm not interested in Josh Allen against Miami. I know that a lot of smart people are on him. Uh, we're, we're off to the GPP portion here. Um, a lot of people are going to be on Josh Allen, but he's another guy who hasn't shown a ceiling this year. I think they'll be content if they do take a lead on Miami. I mean, I could see that being a 13 to six game where Buffalo finds a way to win, but it's not the game everyone thinks it'll be. Uh, I think that Drew Brees is, you know, I don't play Drew Brees on the road. I just, I just don't. It's the nut matchup. And, but, you know, he's going to have some ownership and Michael Thomas is going to, even at 9,900, have some ownership. So I'm not too interested there. Uh, If I did, I would probably pair him with Kamara, uh, not Michael Thomas, or maybe have all three of them, but you're certainly not doing yourself any favor salary-wise with um, that way. Yeah, I mean, he's all the way up at just under 7K, so you need a 300-plus three- to four-touchdown game to even be to, – to basically, as Jam would put it, you know, be missing out or feel like you're missing out on that score. And like we kind of alluded to earlier, just there's, there's guys that are just priced way lower than he is that we can feel a lot more comfortable with. So, yeah, I'm kind of out on Drew Brees. Talked about L. Jack. A couple of guys that are interesting to me, but I don't think I'll get there. Um, Up top would be Deshaun Watson, and that is purely for kind of a leverage against the field with all the people that are going to be playing Drew Brees at that same price point. I have no interest in Garoppolo. You know, the offensive injuries that San Francisco has shouldn't affect the game plan, but what is or what should affect their game plan coming into this game in a Shanahan offense is now that they have their entire offensive line healthy, Staley's back, 
They got Kyle Juszczyk back. They should look to attack on the ground in this game, and there's just not much ceiling with Garoppolo, especially at 6,700. That's kind of crazy to see him priced up there. It, um, looking then, at the, looking at our our our, our draft, ce- uh, you know, our uh, ceiling tool, right now the 50th middle percentile on Lamar Jackson is 25.59, and his 90th percent ceiling is 49.59. I have not seen it that high. Uh, Josh Allen, you know, for those of you who are looking for uh, a reason to play him, has a 43%. And a guy that I will definitely be – oh, I like Deshaun Watson, by the way. I think that's a great call, but I think he'll have ownership. I think people are going to stack that game in different ways, especially now that Will Fuller is out. It it makes it easier to get some uh, lower-priced guys like Kenny Stills in there. I think Dak is a very good GPP play. And anytime that Kyler Murray is supposed to be 1% owned, I'll be over the field on Kyler. Uh, He's really seemed to turn the edge. It's a tough matchup. They're on the road this time, not at home versus the Niners. Uh, But, uh, you know, Kyler is a guy who could put up 25 points at 6,100. And uh, the other guy that I am going to play in GPPs over the field, uh, it's a straight, you know, I'll be able to get all the, all the dudes, but a Dwayne Haskins uh, F1 McLaurin, uh, I, I will be five to 6% on, on that matchup. I think that, you know, the jets are hot trash in the secondary. They can't cover speed. You know, if if uh, if Haskins gives you 20 and McLaurin gives you 30, uh, you know, that could be a really interesting GPP play. Yeah, I don't hate that one bit. Um, I was toying around with F1. Oh, we'll get to wide receivers. But, yeah, uh, he's definitely GPP only this week with kind of how I see that game playing out. Uh, but the, definitely the, you know, Haskins could throw for – 250 and three just out of nowhere against a, a shit secondary like you talked about. And if Washington, we know we know kind of the state of Washington, what they're going to try and do with uh, Haskins at quarterback. They're going to try and run the ball. They're getting Darius Geis back, all that good stuff. But really the way to attack New York is with the deep ball. So if you're going to go to that, definitely pair him with F1 like you alluded to. Yeah, and the other guy is Jeff Driscoll. I didn't watch the game. I, I, I listened to some people who did. And, um, you know, what we love about Detroit is that, you know, he's, you know, at 4,600, you know, if they're going to score on, you know, in the air, it's going to be through uh, Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones. I think uh, Galladay is going to get some ownership because he, he went off last week, even in a bad matchup. I think, you know, your your boy uh your your boy Marvin Jones who I always mean to play and never do. I think that Marvin Jones is a really sneaky play at low ownership this week even in stacks and in a one-off with uh Jeff Driscoll. And right now Jeff Driscoll's ownership is see that's the problem. It's six and a half. Uh I would rather go to Haskins who's not even on our ownership projections. Um, you know, if I'm going to make a play like that and have five to 6% and, you know, that way I'm four to five times the field on Haskins, uh, 
you know, you only have still like a few lineups to, to, to hit it big. So I'm more likely to go with uh, the lower owned guy, I think. Yeah, I like that. Uh, what what are your thoughts on Kyler? I mean, it's not a you know it's a, maybe it's a kind of a homer play by me, but uh... very much a homer play, Todd. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, anytime, anytime Kyler is not projected to have ownership, I think you should be overweight if you're mass entering, uh, just due to what he brings. Agreed. He's the he's the type of guy. You, you could play him naked. You can play him with Kenyon Drake. You could play him with Christian Kirk, who's not going to have ownership this week. And, you know, fo- football is weird. And a, a talented guy like Murray, you know, he could run one for 50 yards and get a touchdown and, you know, put up 25 points at no ownership. So, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's move over to the running back position. Mark, how are you attacking it this week? I am paying up to be slightly contrarian. <laughs> I think uh, what I mean by that is a lot of people are going to play one of Zeke, CMC, or Josh Jacobs, and then look to pair them with uh, one of these value options in the 5.5 down to 4.8 uh, hill range. So I think you need to decide for yourself if you – are comfortable with finding ceiling with one of those lower players. And if not, I think a great way to differentiate differentiate your lineup is to play two or even three of those guys if you can make it work out of uh, Zeke, CMC, and Josh Jacobs. Yeah, so it's interesting because the ownership's on Dalvin, not on Zeke. And Zeke is scary to me, but... I mean, I agree with you. I, I mean, right now, Zeke is in my – my biggest decision right now is I've got one low price running back who we'll talk about. I've got Christian McCaffrey, and I've got Zeke. Um, you know, Zeke looks like he's going to have less ownership than uh, Dalvin, and I think the matchup is way better. We know that, the, you know, they, Al Smizzle really – hit it on the, the NFL edge when he said, you know, the guy got 25 touches in a, a terrible game script, you know, uh, it, it, against the Lions team that hasn't been able to stop the run. And if Jeff Driscoll's bad, I mean, you could see Zeke with one of those 30, 130 and two lines. And, uh, and JM also said he could be the highest, uh, the highest owned, uh, I mean, the highest scoring guy on the slate. So I'm interested in Zeke. But the problem is because I like a lower-priced running back, I have to decide if I want Zeke or Josh Jacobs, and really I want both of them. Uh, I think what I'm going to do right now is go with Zeke in the single entry because I think Jacobs is going to have way more ownership. And I think in, you know, things like the slant and in the play action – I'll take a really deep position on Jacobs, maybe play him, you know, with uh, and take Christian McCaffrey out of some of those lineups and play Zeke and Jacobs together as a way to differentiate in larger field stuff. Yeah. So the, the biggest thing with Zeke is Dallas 
offensive line versus um, Detroit's defensive line is the second-best adjusted line yard matchup for this week, the first-best being Buffalo against Miami. And with the split backfield there, there's really no reason to go there even at cost. So Detroit is giving up 4.76 adjusted line yards per carry. And Dallas on their offensive line are creating, uh, one second right here, 4.92. So break that down to, yes, you know, a one-game sample, anything can happen. But what you're expecting out of Zeke is approaching five yards per carry, basically. And if he's getting 25-plus touches in that matchup, there's really – there's really not many scenarios where he fails. And then you add in the ownership. I haven't looked, but you said it was uh, of those four top guys, it's going to be the lowest. And that's kind of, kind of the icing on the cake, what you're looking for, for kind of a, a overall macro pivot type deal. Yeah. So let's look at our GPP ceiling tool. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, 54 ceiling this week, Dalvin 48, Zeke 43. Uh, middle of the road, it's definitely, you know, I mean, the projections that uh, we're using for this definitely have Dalvin over Zeke, which is going to, uh, is going to make it understandable why Dalvin right now is showing as the highest owned running back on the slate, and Zeke is half the ownership of that. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. I the guy that I'm on, and it's interesting because I asked someone I respect, Noah Rudell, uh, what he thought of Miles Sanders this week. And he said, I love him. Jordan Howard might miss. And I was thinking of playing Miles Sanders with Jordan Howard, me not knowing Jordan Howard might miss. So if I'm hoping that Jordan Howard, it doesn't miss because we've already seen how these guys try and play through injuries and then they get tweaked and then the ownership tumbles because Howard's in, I think at 4,100 Miles Sanders, you know, you're not going to get a great, this late in the ceiling with dra- a season with DraftKings pricing, you're not going to get a great floor ceiling combo, but you know me, I'm always looking to bet on talent and Miles Sanders, you know, He's got, I, I think he's got a, a pretty good floor. And let's look at what the GPP ceiling tool has him at. Has him only at five-point floor, 13-point uh, median, and 29-point ceiling. So, I mean, to me, that, that you know, I, and I, I just, I, I like Miles Sanders this week. It's a bet on talent. I think that game is going to play, um faster and with more points. I know Philadelphia has a lot of their secondary back, but um, anyway, I like Miles Sanders this week, regardless of Jordan Howard. I like, uh, I like that, those thoughts. And I like in the middle price range of running backs, I like both pass catching backs out of that game. So I like James White as well. Um, the basically the differentiator is going to be who gets into the end zone. Uh, so play, mess around with for larger MME type builds, play around with getting both pass catching running backs, both Miles Sanders and James White in that game. Um, I wouldn't, the only kind of game theory that I would uh, caution with that is don't play them together. 
because uh, there's very few scenarios where both of them hit ceiling. Um, but I definitely I like I like both those guys. They won't be part of my tight builds, uh, but definitely for GPP MME, get them in. Uh, and I would be overweight on both of those guys. Yeah. So that that's how I can get Zeke and McCaffrey and Lamar Jackson. So that, you know, to me, the little bit of floor that I lose by going down to Miles Sanders, I gain by going up to Lamar Jackson in a game where, you know, he's got a almost 50.90% uh, projection on our, uh, on our tool, on our GPP ceiling tool. Now, that being said, I think there definitely is a case to being made for coming down at quarterback and playing Zeke, Jacobs, and McCaffrey, and I'm still not 100% sure that's not where I'm going to end up. Um, yeah, because one of, again, I I'm going three max. Sorry, go ahead. No, you finish. Go ahead. I, I said I'm going three max this week, and one of those three teams will be using all of Zeke, CMC, and uh, Josh Jacobs. Can we yeah. before we continue, dude? Can we can we talk about Dalvin real quick? Sure. So I don't get to love one bit. I'm gonna be a full fade on Dalvin this week, priced right around Zeke. And the reason is the masses have not caught on to the fact that Denver basically is playing an entire different defense than they were the first four games of the year they were getting gashed by running backs those first four games of the year. And now they're really tightening up. They've moved all the way up to ninth overall in adjusted line yards allowed. And they're playing Minnesota. Who's I think fifth or sixth. So it's a very much strength on strength matchup. Can Dalvin beat that with his expected high volume and heavy red zone role? Yes. But when you look at the flip side of the coin with Zeke price, right with him, the, it's definitely a strength versus weakness matchup, and he has the same expected volume and the same expected red zone usage. So I don't really get the Dalvin love at all this week, and I don't know if he's going to be projected to be the highest owned running back on the slate. I'm highly confident in a full fade for me personally. Yeah, I, I think, you know, look, he, he yeah, I, I, I don't love it. I think Kamara, if, if, you know, is a – is much more interesting to me than Dalvin this week. I think Kamara, you know, right now we're showing ownership on him that I don't think is going to be there. Um, Tevin Coleman is a good play. I think that Raheem Mostert is probably a better play. Um, You know, if you're trying to win a GPP and hope that, you know, the, the game, you know, stays tight and Mostert with his pass catching role does it? I, I mean, I originally was more on Mostert than I was on Miles. Uh, when I was thinking of paying down, that was the guy, and I'm sure that I will have some Mostert in my GPP pool. Uh, I think that Devin Singletary at low ownership is worth a shot, and I think Kenyon Drake uh, at low ownership is worth a shot. He seems to be playing ahead of uh, David Johnson in practice this week. And the other guy that is, you know, I, you know, we're not going to cover every play here. In fact, let me talk about the, uh, 
yeah, the player grid, we've already covered CMC tier two. Uh, you know, we've got Josh Jacobs, Cook, Zeke, uh, tier three, I guess it is. CMC's tier two. Jacobs, Cook, Zeke, Mac, Coleman, and Hill. We've covered most of those. The guy that is really interesting to me, maybe even over Miles Sanders, I, I need more clarity, but Detroit is not going to have Ty Johnson, and they, they got rid of Paul Perkins. So it looks like McKissick is going to have a pretty decent role in that game. He came, you know, he used to play with Daryl Bevel in Seattle. I mean, I couldn't put him on a main team like I could Sanders, but that Paul Perkins move has kind of gone under the radar a little bit, I think. Well, the reason that they released Paul Perkins is Ty Johnson returned to practice on Wednesday and is expected to play. So he cleared concussion oh. protocol very quickly. Oh, well, never mind. Um, that my, my, my five hours a week uh, didn't uh, get that this week. So that's why you're here, Mark. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let that marinate. Um, Pal. Yeah. Any anyone else? Uh, anyone else of interest for you at the running back position? No, not really. We covered all of them. All right. Let's move over to wide receiver. And in tier two, we've got Michael Thomas, Mr. Gage in Atlanta, Mr. Sanu in New England, DJ Moore, who is probably as close to a tier one play, I think. I think most people consider him a tier one play this week. JM does not. Uh, Curtis Samuel in tier three. Debo Samuel in tier three. Kendrick Bourne tier three. The Godwin-Evans combo in tier three. And then you've got uh, Ridley, Sutton, John Brown as other people that JM is on. You know, based on us both going high, on running back and there's not going to be a ton of, uh, you know what? I'm getting the sense you're going Julio. Am I wrong? You're wrong. Oh, so which, uh, so, so if you're going Ryan, who are you pairing him with? Oh, buddy. Uh, I'm pairing him with Ridley and, or uh, there's a couple lineups where I have them both. Uh, Russell Gage, man. Yeah. Right now, Gage so is in reason- my main build. I, I love Ridley, and, you know, I'll have a good bit of him. I'll be overweight on him this week. I'll have lineups with both of them. Uh, with James Bradbury on Julio, you would like to think yeah. that Ridley is going to be the guy. But 3,300 is, you know, I mean, it, it, you know <laughs> – it's really hard, and Hooper is gone. You know, Gage is the short area guy. I mean, we could be disappointed. I've seen Arizona play all sorts of people in uh, in lineups, but right now, to me, Russell Gage is the guy. It's 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 hard for me not to see ten points, and I think you know if he if he trips and falls into the end zone and gets you fifteen or twenty. You're loving life. Yeah, so we talked – yeah, you, you you talked about the cornerback matchups 
Um, the For Carolina, they're also going to be missing uh, one cornerback, and another is questionable. Um, and they're expecting Bradbury back. So what you're doing is further kind of funneling those expected targets with, one, the offensive injuries, and then, two, a borderline elite cornerback on Julio. Can he win that matchup, and do we expect targets? Yes. But it's, it's kind of like why fight the fire, uh, so to speak, with Calvin Ridley. And Calvin Ridley, not many people have caught on to this yet, but over their last two games in weeks eight and ten, with their bye week being week nine, Calvin Ridley has played more snaps than Julio Jones even. We expected, yeah. we expected when Sanu left town that Calvin Ridley would be the main benefactor. Well, he was. His snap rate jumped from the weekly 60 to 65% range to 80 and 89% over the last two weeks. We haven't seen the production and the targets come from that yet, and I'm looking to leverage that uh, and be ahead of the field kind of on that. I expect all the things we covered to filter targets through Ridley and then all those short to intermediate targets that are vacated by Devonta Freeman and Hooper to run through Gage. So, Gage is more of a, you know, cost-considered, price-considered floor ceiling play. I don't know if he really brings the ceiling that we want, but at 3,300, if he pops and falls into the end zone and, you know, catches seven balls, you're looking at 20 points uh, right off the bat. So at 3,300, that's a hard, hard fade for me. Yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting because, um, <clears throat> Hooper was playing 85 to 90% of snaps and that's gone. And Julio, you know, like you said, was under 80, 77 and 79 the last two weeks, Ridley 80 and 88. And you see that bump from 80 to 88 because Hooper got hurt. So I think that, you uh-huh. know, it's fair to say that's why. When Gage went from 59 to 62, so it's going to be real interesting. You know, are they going to play more Justin Hardy? Are they going to, you know, do some things? Um, I just, I just think that uh, we just got a question from Greg. What makes you confident? Bradbury shadows Julio. He hasn't traveled much this year. He's playing 75% left. Good question. What do you think? The, the reasoning or basically why I think they will is this is now a uh, – hold on. Let me not mix this up. With the way that Carolina has shifted their defensive scheme, they're basically looking uh, – they've increased their man – Uh, snap rate and I think with all the injuries to Atlanta I think Carolina is going to utilize him more in shadow he might not be a strict shadow and this is all just conjecture and reading between the lines for me but I think that he's going to see basically a demi shadow scenario on Julio Jones just due to how this overall you know, coaches watching tape and seeing how these, this matchup lines up. Overall, what get, what that coaching staff is going to view their best chance of winning this game. Yeah, and, and I think that, you know, one thing that we talked a lot about in best ball all offseason 
was the, you know, the whole theory of rational coaching. And Ron Rivera and, and his staff, you know, they, they do put players in pretty good position to win. And you look at who, you know, you say, okay, Austin Hooper's out. How, what's most likely to beat me? What's most likely to beat you is Julio Jones. So it's possible that he doesn't shadow. Um, but, um, you know, I think Julio is, you know, and then Julio's also, you know, always has ownership. So uh, I, I just think that uh, right now Julio's projected for 18% ownership, uh, Ridley at 11 and Gage seven. So again, you don't want to make all your decisions based on ownership. Uh, but um, I, I think for me, Julio is more of a GPP play, but you say that and Julio at 7,500, you know, if you do decide that you find two, you know, let's say you don't want to go with Zeke and you want to go with Jacobs and Sanders. Well, then you do have the money for one more spend if you feel that playing Julio is contrarian, go for it. But I feel like Bradbury covering him a lot is is very possible. And one thing I do know is that Bradbury's not going to be on gauge. Yeah. And that's all right. All... So the next, nope, go, uh, go ahead, finish your thought, and, and then we'll get to nope. the next. Uh, so I'm good, man. Uh, D- DJ Moore right now looks like chalk. Uh, Samuel on the same team, you know he's he's the air yard darling. One of these days he's going to catch two or three big plays in the same game and get into the end zone. Uh, and and when he does, he he can win you a GPP. Personally, I like Moore. But I, I'm not afraid if I need the money to drop the 600 down to Samuel. Yeah, and the ownership is going to be on Moore, uh, like you talked about. So I have no issues with that. I really do like Moore, and I'm doing, I'm running one game stack of that game out of my three rosters, and it's going to be CMC and DJ Moore from the Panthers. But that is basically due to his new kind of opened route tree that JM has been alluding to uh, the past two weeks. And I still don't think the field has caught onto that. They're probably going to look at box scores and see that he's popped over a hundred yards, two games straight and throw him in. And that's probably where his ownership is going to come from. But even with that, I'm going to leverage that by kind of stacking that game as opposed to playing Samuel over him. It's not, a bad play at all and you should have overweight Samuel if you are mass entering uh, for those very reasons the kind of the ceiling and floor projection for each of those guys is very much overlaid so it could be either or of those guys that pop yeah so one of the things with uh, roster construction this week is and we'll get to defense later but I like the Cardinals at 1500 and I guess you have Sorry, dogs. you might have to mute me real quick. Yeah, you might have to mute me. No, it's okay. Um, so we've got uh, – we've got uh, – I just had this vision of you running out to the car. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, 
tight end. Okay, so what I was saying is the Cardinals at 1,500, there's no defense that I really like. You know, when you go up, I guess the Lions are always okay. The Bengals, the Texans, the Broncos. I mean, it, you got to go up to 2,500 from 1,500 for the Dolphins uh, before there's even someone I would consider. And then, you know, you're talking about, you know, going over 3,000 before there's another defense I really like. So same thing at tight end. Jared Cook's at 4,400. Uh, and the next guy that I would play is Waller. What's my point? My point is that I've got Curtis Samuel in right now because I've got the money for him. You know, I'm open. I would be open to going down to uh, from Samuel to Muhammad Sanu to Tyler Boyd to um, Ridley. There, there's like four or five guys in that five one to five five range I would play. Uh, oh, you know, if I could get an upgrade somewhere else and get away from Samuel's ownership and, but right now I don't have that. So Samuel is in and, you know, uh, he, he could be the Christian Kirk of this week where, you know, he's chalk. You're thinking about ways to get around him because he hasn't scored and then he gets you two touchdowns. So I, I, I'm pretty okay with leaving Samuel in. Yeah, so my my staple in that range that you just talked about is actually Tyler Boyd. And for me, I'm almost always going to side on volume. And I think a lot of the ownership, we didn't talk about him in the running back section, but I think I'll just say label him right now as a trap. Uh, that's Joe Mixon because people are going to look at last week and see his 30-touch game and be like, that's the new norm for Cincinnati. And that Honestly, in my mind, that couldn't be further from the truth. I think with Taylor at the helm is going to design a game plan to open up this offense um, and allow his rookie quarterback to go try and, you know, win their first ball game of the season. And I think it sets up really well for Tyler Boyd to, again, settle into that 10 to 14 even, you know, target range. That's what I have my projected form this week is 10 to 14 targets. And at what is he at 5.2? That's really, really hard for me to pass up that kind of yeah. volume. And I, I like, I like it too. I, I like Boyd this week. Uh, definitely. I'm going to have some of him. I mentioned Mohamed Sanu. There's, there's literally three or four guys in that range that I feel that I want to be over on. Um, who's the, Oh, I, Terry McLaurin. I think um, Malcolm Brown, uh, Hollywood is a good play. Uh, even even Terrell Williams. Uh, you've got uh, Samuel. You've got Boyd. You've got Sanu. I mean, if you you know, and this is where you know it gets a little crazy. If I got rid of McCaffrey and I went Elliot and um, Elliot and Jacobs at running back, you know. I, I, I've got, you know, 6,500, and if you take Gage out, if you take all three of my wide receivers out, if you take McCaffrey out and go to Elliott and Jacobs, uh, you, you could pick three out of that group. 
So that's another yeah. uh, roster construction for people to think about. I mean, just here, let me let me put them in. So let's say you go Ridley, you go Boyd. That leaves you 5,700. You could go Kirk. You could go Brown. So uh, really some, you know, a lot of interesting ways that you can uh, upgrade if you feel the gauge. And the next guy that I'm going to talk about, Debo Samuel, are not, don't have enough of a floor for you. So I like Debo this week. The Cardinals are bad. We, we've already talked earlier about how uh, the Niners are short-staffed. Um, and then you add the fact that, um, you know, Pettis is in the doghouse. Debo at 4,000, I, you know, I read it with JM. I've heard it everywhere. You know, Manny Sanders, if he's out, I like Debo. I like Debo, and this is something I'm going to ask JM when he comes on. I like Debo just as much with Sanders, and and we'll we'll cover that more in the injury section with the doc, with the type of injury Sanders has. But um, what are your thoughts on Debo? Yeah, at 4K, my projection on Debo this week is seven to nine targets, and at 4K against Arizona, I don't. I don't think it's wise to fade that even at high ownership. He is in uh, he's in two of my three builds, and that might honestly jump up to 100% ownership. I don't like doing that normally with a guy that doesn't really typically have the floor that we're looking for in that range. But, I mean, he's already, he's already posted two 20-point games this year, and with all the injuries that San Francisco has up front – even though I expect them to attack this game on the ground, I just think that's really, really hard to pass up at 4K. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I agree. And, uh, you know, if I come off Lamar Jackson, I can upgrade Sanders to Jacobs. I can, you know, get, you know, that, that that's the thing, though. But I did that last week, and it bit me in the neck. We don't like to be, you know, well, this happened last week, so I, I can't do it this week. Um, but those are the kind of things that I'm wrestling with as far as overall roster construction. Any other wide receivers on your radar? Uh, that You, you mentioned uh, Nuke. Uh, you, are you on Nuke this week? I'm not, but he's a very, very good GPP contrarian play. Um, yeah, I think the, I think go ahead. I'm I'm attacking that Carolina Atlanta game both sides pretty heavily, um, and then uh, I mentioned Boyd and another couple guys in that kind of medium price range that you talked about. I really like um, Curtis Samuel, one of them that you talked about. I'm not really on Sanu, uh, and that's just basically due to the fact that Philadelphia is so good up the middle. The price is nice at 5.1, but I don't know about the ceiling and I don't know about him seeing double digit targets again. So I'm not on him. Um, I actually really like, you know, fool me once. Well, you ain't going to fool me again. Robbie Anderson in that same range at 4.9, there's going to be a game where he pops. And if you're MME, this week, I, I would throw a few shares of Anderson in just if he hits that pop game. 
Um, and then I like Sills at 4.6 uh, just for that expected shootout and game uh, script that's going down there. And then one guy that I don't think anybody is going to be on, um, I talked about my love for Tyler Boyd at 5.2. Well, his teammate, Auden Tate, at 4.2 is very intriguing to me. Yeah, he was Auden in JM's He was in JM's bottom up build. And uh Yeah. He's averaging you know, he, ten targets. Auden Tate is averaging ten targets a game on the road this year. That's only four game samples, so take it for what it's worth. But Auden Tate, we I talked about kinda his role in that offense earlier this year, uh, you know, playing that Z receiver role. And that offense is built to open up that Z receiver in space. So there's definitely uh, some path to ceiling there with Audentate at only 4.2. All right. I'm going to throw out Hunter Renfrew as another guy. We got to get moving tight end. Um, I've got um, right now I got cook. I like Dwelly a lot. I like um, Eric Ebron, I think is a good play, and Darren Waller. How about you? Uh, I've narrowed it down to Cook and Dallas Goddard at 3.2. I like Goddard, too. Um, You know he's one of my guys, one of my highest-owned best ball guys. Um, It's just interesting with New England. Uh, Greg Olson is going to have ownership. I, I'm going to have trouble pulling the trigger on uh, on Greg Olson at, at ownership. Um, I saw that uh, Jack Doyle had some injury earlier in the week. Let me do a quick look. Jackie. He had a shoulder, something with his shoulder. Yeah, he returned to practice on Thursday. Yeah, so I don't know. I I think Cook, I hate playing Saints on the road, but uh, right now I've got Cook in. But, um, you know, I'm still playing around. Goddard is always intriguing to me. Uh, I, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's my, you know, that fits that bet on talent. Um model that I talk about a lot. Uh, defense, the one that, you know, is jumping out at me, Mark, is, and, and feel free if you've got any other tight ends you want to talk about. Uh, D, uh, let me give you the grid. You got Cook, Waller, Dwelly, and Fant in Tier 3. I named three of them as ones that I like. Uh, and Olsen and Hawkinson uh, are, are just off the grid. I... Uh, I uh no one's talking about the Patriots defense this week. Sharp, sharp, sharp. You know, uh, they're down as low as they've been. I mean, yeah, they've been quote lucky if you will in getting on the right side of the touchdown variance. At the same time, if they put up 30 points against the Eagles and no one's on them, Um, So I will definitely be overweight on New England. I've even played around with a main build where I I get to New England. So, um, you know, but the big decision for me is Elliot or Jacobs or, 
you know, take Sanders out and really go cheap at wide receiver and tight end. Or come out, come off at, yes. uh, or come off uh, Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and that's going to be that's going to be the big kind of decider this week is looking at your roster construction and being happy with it as a whole uh, with respect to floor and ceiling that we always uh, preach to. A couple of yeah, defenses, I did. I did. I, go ahead. Sorry, a couple defenses I like. Um, I really like the Saints this week at only two point nine. Um, they haven't been, they've been getting pressure on the quarterback, but they haven't seen the turnovers. They only have four interceptions and six fumble recoveries this year. And with that Tampa offensive line, I think they can really get pressure off the edge. Uh, in their first game, they had six sacks was a season high, uh, for them. And I just think even on the road and without Marshawn Lattimore, they're not going to have ownership at all. And I still think that defense, especially up front, the defensive line is riddled with talent. So I like them at 2.9, and then I don't mind the pay down. It's Ridley with talent? It is Ridley. It's Ridley with so talent. I like them at 2.9. There's there's really not many places to go at defense this, year, this week. So the um, – oh, another – sorry, another kind of mid-range defense I like this week is the Jets at 3.1. Um, just because with the way that Washington is probably going to attack this game on the ground, the Jets are money up front. So that's a very much not even a strength, but a whatever they're trying to do against strength <laughs> matchup. Um, and that really Washington, the only way that they can kind of take advantage of that is opening up that offense. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to do it this week. Yep, the uh the, the the other thing if you remember last week I talked about Brian Hoyer and playing against bad quarterbacks. So that's a reason to like the Jets. Um you could also say Dallas versus Jeff Driscoll. I mean he played pretty good last week, but you know, whenever you get these backups, um I get, you know, the whole New Orleans versus Jameis. I mean that's a good that's a good call. I would say that uh, Ryan Finley versus Oakland, you know, again, is a, is a guy who could, you know, no one's going to be on Oakland defense and, uh, you know, but definitely I, uh, I, and, and then Minnesota against Brandon Allen, again, another one of these quarterbacks who, you know, didn't play bad, but, it's it, it, those are those are the guys who tend to throw the pick sixes. So keep keep the bat you know the weaker quarterbacks in mind in your GPP pool. Uh, any last thoughts, Mark, before we get to the injury doc? No, that's I think we got it, dude. All right, um, follow Mark on Twitter, Hilo FF. As always, he puts in the work, and I learn, and then I pick. The one guy he's playing that fails. Um, <laughs> so hopefully you take Mark's picks and get the better ones. Uh, and hopefully I will as well. Mark, who's the one guy this week? Who's the two or three guys that you feel the absolute most confident in? Mm, okay. Well, the three running backs, <laughs> Jacobs, McCaffrey, and Zeke. 
And then Jared Cook, I feel the most confident in for roster construction and macro view. Awesome. That was my one takeaway from way, you know, I didn't do my intro with some teaching this week. If I had, it would have been on trusting your gut. And, you know, I talked about how Lamar Jackson, you know, I I felt strong about him. I felt, and I'm going to go into this with JM. So I don't want to, I don't want to go into it too deeply, but playing your gut plays, you know, the guys that you really feel strong about, um, don't take those guys out of your lineup as we get crazy close to lock. That's my, that's my teaching for the week. Mark, thank you as always. And uh, we'll see you next week. And hopefully you and I will be one and two on the leaderboard and, you know, throwing mad cash at each other on Twitter. There you go. All right, we'll see you guys. All right. Uh, Now let's get to the injury doc. It's eight minutes, and when we come out of break, JM might be here. If not, he'll be soon after. If you want to call in and wait for JM, 646-668-8928. I am going to be asking JM a bunch of questions before we get into – your calls. Uh, I've been meaning to ask him some things for a few weeks. Hopefully you guys will find that segment interesting, but if you want to get online, definitely do. If not, believe me, between him and I, we know how to fill up an hour. All right, here's the injury doc. Please welcome back to the show, Dr. Jeffrey Budoff. Doc, how are you this week? Doing great, Todd. How are you? Good. A couple of the guys that we were monitoring, we already have information on, but we'll still cover them as it relates to, uh, you know, what we can expect from them a little bit going forward. The first guy I want to discuss, though, is Manny Sanders. The main reason is Debo Samuel. A lot of people want to play him in DFS this week, but only if Manny is out. Um, Tell us about Manny's injury, about ribs. And whether the fact that if Sanders plays should scare us off a $4,000 receiver against the Arizona Cardinals. Well, Emmanuel Sanders uh, left the game last week with the rib cartilage injury. Uh, that was confirmed by MRI. Um, he hasn't practiced all week. Uh, basically, he's listed as a game-time decision. Um you know he's gonna he's he's gonna work jacket. It's an intolerant issue, and he's gonna try to go. And man, he's impressed me by his comeback from the Achilles injury this year. And I'm impressed. But I mean, you know, these, these can lead to a lot of pain. And the, the issue is when you say, well, it's just pain. But when your chest hurts and you it's called splinting, your muscles sort of cramp down. You can't really breathe. It's tough to perform athletically at a high level. Um, so one good shot and he could be down, but I think he's going to give it a go. I mean, if you want to play Debo in a GPP, I got it. That's fine. Uh, would I play him in cash? If I was only going to do it with Sanders out, I, I, I might not. Now, Kittle's out. He's been ruled out. So there may be enough to go around for the two of them because there's not much else. This foreign guy did not really quit himself too well last week. Pettis is in the doghouse. And they are going to try to throw, uh, you know, a little bit on the Arizona Cardinals. Um, they are going to try to 
produce points after the Cardinals really came back and won the fourth quarter two weeks ago. So, I mean, I wouldn't play Sanders. Debo is worth a shot. Even if Sanders goes, I'm sure he'll perform well, but um, Debo might still be an option. But I'll leave that to you. Yeah, I, I, my take on this is, you know, in the in the run up to the to recording this, you mentioned that Sanders, if he takes one good hit, that could be it for him. Um, so there's a couple options to where we get Sanders announced, Debo's ownership is lower, and then Manny either gets hurt. Or if they get comfortably up ahead of the Cardinals in this game, you know they're gonna—they're not gonna play a guy who who was a game time decision in the third quarter if they're up 21 points. So I think that there are definitely opportunities for Debo to succeed even if Manny Sanders is announced uh, in. On the other side, well, also, uh, let's talk just quickly about uh, Kittle's injury. I mean, it was really gutty that he played through that injury. But, um, you know, obviously, a lot of if you've ever gotten hurt, you wake up the next day and, you know, that's when you really notice how bad your injury is. How long do you think we're going to be out of uh, Kittle for those who uh, have him in season long? You know, I have tried to look this up all over the Internet. I cannot get a diagnosis. All I know is knee and ankle injuries. Now, it was from a collision meeting direct impact early in week nine's game against Arizona. Um, you know, direct impact does not lead to the type of long-term problems that indirect or non-contact injuries do. You know, the Achilles tendon ruptures, the ACL tears, those are usually non-contact or indirect injuries from the torque. If it's from a direct collision, those tend not to be so problematic. Now, you got her early week nine, and now he's going to miss week 10. He's, going to, he's expected to miss week 11. I don't think it's going to be long-term. Could he have really hit it the wrong way and bruised some cartilage or had a bone bruise in the joint, which would be a problem? Yeah, but my gut is it's probably not long-term. You know, Shanahan said that before week 10, I won't rule him out because it's George Kittle and he could play, which means it's my my interpretation of that is that it's not a structural issue and it's not a major uh, risk to his long-term health. If he did play, it's just he's in a lot of pain. So he could easily be back week 12, um, but I don't even have a diagnosis. That's what I got for you. All right. Uh, on the other side of the game, we've got David Johnson, or as a lot of people on Twitter call him, the ghost of David Johnson. I mean, David Johnson looked a little slower early in the season, but since he tweaked that back and then the the leg, uh, he hasn't looked at all like himself. Uh, what 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 do we know about David Johnson? And do you, you know? I don't think too many people are going to look to play him in DFS, uh, especially against the Niners. But uh, I did want to get your thoughts on David Johnson. Well, uh, this this is a David Johnson owner. This has been frustrating. He's back in ankle injury. Like all these guys, like Saquon Barkley, he just came back too early. Like Des Bryant, like every athlete that gets injured, you can name. They all think they're superhuman. And I understand the locker room 
psychology and you want to get back. You don't want to let your teammates, you know, go off to war without you. And, you know, I, I get that, especially when you're a star. But these guys got to start learning to be smarter, and they just haven't, and I don't know why. Anyway, um, he's not on the week 11 injury report, but we all know that's really not true. I mean, even Kingsbury noted that, you know, that yeah, he's pretty big on his not doing so well. Um, he was limited to five carries in one part of last week. Kenyon Drake was functioning as the lead back. Um, I got him on my bench. I mean, I'm hoping that uh, he doesn't play too much and they rest him for the week 12 bye and he comes out with 13 and he's okay for the playoffs. But, uh, yeah, he, he's, he's not 100% by any stretch of the imagination, despite the fact he's not on the injury report. Last guy we're going to cover today is an old favorite, um, Will Fuller, um, and uh, and a hamstring, another game time decision, a true boomer bust candidate, even when he's healthy, um, you know. But it's going to be a matchup where they're going to probably have to score points, uh, you know. I, I'm just curious, uh, what your what's your take on Fuller? Uh, we know that hamstrings are really tough to get behind. Yeah, uh, he injured his hamstring week seven. This has been a multi-week injury. He was at limited practice Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday this week. He's getting down to a game. All right, I'm going to cut that a little short because we all know this was recorded this morning, and uh, Will Fuller is out. So uh, no point in going too deep into that. And without further ado, I'm going to welcome back to the show the owner of one week season the man who is ah, i can't do adam levitan real well jay and welcome back to the show <laughs> hey how's it going todd good to be here yeah yeah it's great to have you i've been meaning to ask you you know i i collect questions like uh that come to my mind and you know like you i ruminate you know i, I listen to you on the angles pod and I think one of the reasons the Angles pod has been so successful this year is we, we, we get to hear your ruminations. And from that, we, we can learn a lot. Um, and I've been ruminating on, you know, I met you about five years ago now at that DFS conference in New York. And DFS has changed a tremendous amount since we first met there. Projections, which used to be something that only a few had, is now something that almost anyone can get for a reasonable price. DraftKings has really adjusted its scoring. It's much harder and much more challenging to find values than it used to be. The edge has shrunk. How has how have you adapted to the changing landscape? So a couple of things uh, you. You mentioned DraftKings changing. One thing that I was thinking this week is the they're try, it seems as if they are trying to quietly squeeze down the edge for set players because cheaper players are inherently more volatile and uh, good you know chalk down at the lower. And let's say Emmanuel Sanders is out, uh, Debo Samuel's a good play, but he's also a wide receiver in a run heavy offense you know and so you have to kind of decide they leave you like one or two value plays 
that kind of decides the whole weekend, right? Because Debo Samuel, a realistic normal game would be four or five catches, 60, 70 yards, and that still doesn't get you what you need. But if you fade him and he puts up that kind of game at 40% ownership, uh, then you're way behind the field. And so they've kind of put in these little things that uh, almost force a little more variance onto us. Uh, the other side of that is the, I talked about this earlier in the year, you know, we've talked for so long about focusing on floor and ceiling in smaller field tournaments in particular, because uh, the score that you need to get first place is lower. And I've talked a, a few times over the last month or two on the chat pod about the score you need for first place in single entry tournaments is now higher because people are getting a lot smarter about building around games. And so what I'm seeing is that the way to uh, maximize the edge, you know, I guess two things. One is to embrace a little bit more variance than we have in the past and to build a little bit more fully around games. But two, I, I actually think that there's a, a pretty big untapped edge in understanding how to build around games. So one of the things that we talked about, like the example we talked about in the Angles pod this week was Michael Thomas and what what a big game from Michael Thomas would actually mean on the other side of the ball because of how he would get that big game. And I think it's very it, – especially when we hit NBA season, most content providers are playing NBA every day. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, and I never, I never want to denigrate any individual person or site or anything, but I've spoken to people who are trusted NFL content providers who have texted me on Sunday morning before – and said, oh, I haven't done any research this week. What do you think about this guy and this guy? And that's what it's like at this time of year. And they're giving advice to large numbers of people. Uh, and then other people aren't being, you know, kind of guided through, okay, here's how you would actually think through a game. And so I think we have, we see people building around games more, but it's kind of haphazard. It's like, well, I, I took a couple guys from this side of the ball, so I should take one guy from this side. And so when you understand a little more, and I don't want to go on too long because I'm sure there's plenty to get to, but uh, another little note here, we talked in the chat pod last night about essentially a, an offense. We take DraftKings scoring, take out the quarterbacks, so just skill position players. They usually score about 65 to 85 points. That's the general range for an entire group of skill position players across a team. So when you have a team that, you know, has a very concentrated distribution of touches. You know, they really throw, throw the ball or hand off the ball to three guys. And then you're in a spot where one of those guys is in a really tough matchup. So it's like, there's just a solid shot for two of these guys to account for 50, 55, 60 of these points. But then, you know, the thinking is, well, I took two guys from this team, so I have to take one or two guys from the other team. But the other team might spread the ball around to five or six players pretty equally. And so I think that that's where we're seeing the negative EV builds is, yes, people shifting more toward building around games, but not necessarily knowing how to do it most effectively. And so that's kind of where uh, I'm looking to uh, hit the edge right now is thinking through the games a little bit more. So we talked about some cool stuff this week about kind of how to handle like a playing Zeke over Christian McCaffrey um, and recognizing that, if Zeke passes Christian McCaffrey, there's a chance that that's because McCaffrey had a lower-end game, but the Panthers should still do well, so that means the Panthers' pass catcher should do well. Um, or we talked about, you know, different ways to handle that Cowboys-Lions game. 
Uh, so, like, I'm going to have about uh, 8% Driscoll this week. I think two out of 19 teams will have Driscoll. Uh, so I guess that's uh, more like 11 12% anyhow. Um, and, and just kind of looking for places like that where it's like, how do I build around a game that other people aren't on in a way that other people aren't thinking through it? So that's, that's an awesome question, uh, something I've been thinking about a lot this year, and that's what I've been doing to kind of carve out that edge. Yeah, and so – you know what we're what we the the whole showdown world has really changed the way that we look at um, game stacks, right? Uh, you know, in, in, in you know, so I think that there's an edge because people. I don't think that people are probably, you know, like what you just said is absolutely true. But when you look at all the rules that Zandemir makes. If you're going to, let's say, you know, you, you want eight, nine percent of Jeff Driscoll and, you know, you, you and, and I for football are mostly built by the, uh, you know, built by hand guys. But if one of our listeners wants to take uh, what, you know, here's a tip, what you can do is you can take all the rules that Zandemir gives you. You know, and let's face it, for most games, they're very similar. You can punch them into an opto. You can make some groups. And then you can make 20 lineups. uh, And then even, let's say you don't want to play 20, you can pick three or four out of that 20 where all the rules from a showdown slate are now applying, uh, but you have a, a wider player pool. So I, I do think that there's a way to blend what we've learned from Showdown and incorporate it into bigger slates. Yeah, and another thing, too, uh, that that makes me think of is, I guess, two things. One, I realized last year, so I have this tendency to kind of restart my thinking uh, at each new point in the week instead of building off of what I've already done. And so I'll often finish the player grid and then for some reason my mind shifts to building rosters and I kind of don't look at the player grid again. And so I, and I've realized since last year, uh, you know, there was nine or 10 weeks last year where you could have built uh, the Millie maker winning roster just off the player grid, just getting the combinations right. And it's been the same thing this year. And so another thing that I'm starting to do is use that player grid to then actually decide kind of lay out all the players and figure out, okay, where do I rank these guys? And, and if I'm building multiple lineups, where do I want my exposure on these guys? And then I can kind of see it from a more, so I'm using a notebook because that's comfortable for me, but I'll list out the players. And uh, so this week I'm building 19 rosters. Another thing I realized, you know, the bottom up build has outscored my main team about half the time this year. And that's with, you know, five, eight, 10 K in salary left on the table. Uh, last week, we scored over 170 points and had, I think, 13K left in salary on the table. You know, and that's, that's insane. Uh, and so I'm going to do five teams this week that are just st- starting from the bottom of build. And then another 14 teams that are from scratch. And I've laid out my where I'm working on laying out my exposures. And then I'm able to kind of see how different pieces correlate as well and build in that way. Uh, and then the other yeah. thing that made me think of is uh, – this is something I haven't I haven't mentioned because there's not really a good place to mention it. You know, we have our partnership with with Fantasy Cruncher, and I think that there's a great place for lineup builders. Uh, but 
Cubs fan said to me earlier in the year, and I tend to agree with him, that he thinks that the greatest edge in NFL right now is lineup builders and the fact that so many people use them because there's not really a lineup builder that builds correlations as sharply as they should or as sharply as they need to. And so by building by hand, you can kind of think through things to a different layer than what, you know, the field is putting out there. And so sure, if you're up against 150 lineup, you might still run into just, you know, it's hard to win when people are putting in 150 lineups. But if you're in a 20 entry max or five entry max, uh, and you know, people are taking lineup builder lineups and throwing them in there, uh, you get a little bit of an edge there as well. I think that's important to think about. Yeah. I like that a lot. I think that that is, you know, you and I are always talking about ways to be smartly contrarian. Um, I also want to build on the point you made. Uh, I think for three entry lineups, and this is something I've heard Je- uh, your old buddy Jeff L. Hefe talk about, is you take the names of the people you want. And, be, you know, it, it's not as maybe important in football, but I know that he only has one you know, he won't have a lot of overlap on his three lineups because what he's trying to do is to, you know, make one that that, that hits. Um, so I like that laying it out. And I'm more willing to have guys in all three lineups than, and again, I don't know that he, I didn't sub him for NFL. This was a, a baseball strategy and baseball's much more variant. But I do think laying it out on a notebook is a really, really good thing. Um, Yeah, and I'm going to say something on that, actually. And this is – I'm trying to learn from – so because the the scores we need are a little bit higher now. It's something we've talked about throughout the season. And I think that it's important to adjust our eye level as a result. And that thinking of you you don't need all of your rosters to hit, right? You just need one to hit – and so being willing to hedge from one roster to another, but also do it in a way where things fit together. So uh, like, for example, this week, I like Miles Sanders, but I'm trying to cap myself. I've made a rule this week to see how it goes of I'm not allowing myself to put any one player on more than 13 of my 19 rosters. And so this week it was like, well, if Miles Sand- I, I like Miles Sanders, but okay, I'm, I'm capped at 13 of 19 rosters. So if Miles Sanders doesn't do well, again, Alshon Jeffrey's out. Stefan Gilmore is probably going to be on Zach Ertz, especially now that Patrick Chung is out. Uh, and this team has to move the ball, right? And we, we expect passes to tight ends and running backs, uh, you know, handoffs to running backs. So if, if Miles Sanders falls short, then it's probably Goddard who does well. Uh, and they're so cheap, you know, that you don't need that much. And then if both guys do poorly, it's, it's probably because the Patriots defense did really well. And so I'm going to do two teams with the Patriots defense, four with Goddard, uh, 13 with Miles Sanders. And so that thinking is a little bit counterintuitive to us because we're used to saying, well, I'm going to bet on this guy I like. And why would you, you know, if I think Miles Sanders is going to have the best game, why would I then want to put in some Patriots defense rosters or some Dallas Goddard rosters? But it kind of then says, look, I'm going to bet on this game and expect that I have my thoughts correct on this game. And here's the different ways it could play out. Uh, and I'm doing the same thing, you know, with the Panthers offense of finding place, you know, places to use McCaffrey, places to use Samuel, places to use Moore, uh, and kind of mixing and matching that way. And, I, and, you know, 
you're essentially saying, yes, some of these rosters are not going to cash. But by doing this, you're also guaranteeing that you're going to be on the right spots in these games on some of your rosters, which increases the chances of everything coming together. It, it, it's all about getting that top 10 finish. I mean, exactly. you know, that, that, you know, I say a lot on the podcast, we call the site one week season. Uh, but, you know, I am, I am constantly looking, you know, I won $3,500 on a showdown slate playing one lineup. I mean, that, that has a chance of making my season. I play about 800 a week you know, winning 3,500 one week, you know, that, you know, that, that almost assures me of a winning season. So, you know, I'm looking and that's how I made money last year. Uh, So, but what I I wanted to say to that is that that's brilliant on a couple levels. One, because I just spent about 15 minutes earlier in the show talking about how Miles Sanders is in my main build. And I was on him even before I knew that Jordan Howard might be out because I just felt 4,100 was too cheap for a guy who was in a spot where they were going to need him to be able to compete with the Patriots. Um, So I'm hoping that Jordan Howard actually plays uh, or at least is announced uh, because that'll keep the ownership down. So I want, uh, and, and, and that leads me to the next thing. Uh, which is a question. And I see a couple of you on hold. We will get to to you. We have some questions also. We'll get to them. But I've had some things percolating that I've been wanting to ask JM for a while. And hopefully you guys find that, you know, we will get to you. But uh, uh, there's some things that I think are process driven that are really important here. So uh, I know a lot of smart people. I sound like Trump, don't I? Um, <laughs> the best people. I know the best people, but I'm the no, okay. But some people say that the only real edge left in daily fantasy is ownership, and I talk about it a lot more on on this pod, and I'm looking at it a lot more than I think most people on you know on one week season because I. You know, I had a lot of success last year picking a core, but making sure that I had a couple guys that I also still felt good about that were lower owned. And uh, so, you know, I want to know what your thoughts are on that theory that ownership is one of the only edges left, because I know that you don't even look at it till most of your week is done. Yeah, or sometimes at all. Um, so a couple things to unpack here. One that reminds me of, uh, you and I talked about this in uh, the best ball pods this summer with any of you who missed it. I can't even count how many uh, emails I've had telling me how great the uh, best ball pods were and how much they got out of them. So be sure to tune into those uh, next year. But, you know, the in the summer people were saying, well, don't even I, I, I got to talk to you about that, by the way. I got some okay. ideas. Uh, in the summer, people were saying, "Don't even." Or in August, you know, don't even draft the best ball championship because Tyreek Hill was getting drafted in the third, third and fourth round. You know, a couple months ago, and so the winning roster has already been drafted. You know, and I think that that's just it, it. People are so reactive and they want to come up with hot takes like that, but uh, you know, things happen. Ty, Tyreek Hill is not probably on you know, automatically on the winning roster just because somebody got him in the sixth round. 
a couple months ago, there's a lot of other things that go right and wrong across 18 rounds, you know, and, and Tyreek Hill got hurt, and that's just the way things play out. And so uh, I, I think that it's more take-driven to say that. I mean, I think that this thing that we were just talking about five minutes ago about correctly building around games is a much bigger edge because everybody's using ownership and mostly using it incorrectly. But I'll say that anything that you're – any edge that you're using correctly – is a big edge. And so uh, I think one, you said you look at ownership more than probably most one week season subscribers. And I think that you're probably right. And part of the reason is because I'm not big on, on using ownership for myself. And typically a site will draw the people who kind of vibe with, you know, the person who's providing the most content. And so it would make sense that people have come to OWS who, uh, you know, not not everybody, but by and large, people who are more like me in that area. But I'll, I'll say this: it's a personality thing. So the reason I don't use ownership is because I've never once in my entire DFS career done well when using ownership because it screws up the way that I think best. And so the way I think best is by doing my own research. And like this season's been better than the last. The, the couple of years I was running Roto Grinders Premium, and I had to read everybody's articles to make sure everything was going well and kind of keep tabs on everything. And uh, those were rough years for me because I had so much noise. You talked about this, you know, cutting down the number of subscriptions you have uh, and and tightening up the amount of information you're taking in, where you're taking it in from. And so for me, when I do my own research, I often end up on multiple players on my roster who are really low owned but I end up on them because I liked those players. And so if I were for my personality type, if I took ownership and then said, Oh, well, Driscoll and the Lions passing attack will be low owned, So I'm going to get a little exposure and they didn't hit. I would feel like the reason why I played them was because they were low owned. And then I would be wondering if that was a bad play that I just played because of ownership but if I go the other way and actually dig into the research and look at the game flow for that game, and, and you know, we talk about trying to make the games three-dimensional. Uh, you know, last night I sat down and just kind of closed my eyes and tried to picture from a, you know, uh, an all-22 angle what that game will look like and how these teams match up. And just realizing you know, more than likely the Lions are going to throw the ball 40 times. And it's not a great matchup, but also the Cowboys haven't played that many good offenses. The Lions have a lot of good pieces. The Cowboys should put up points. Driscoll's cheap. And it was like, you know what? I'm going to put two Driscoll teams in. Uh, and, you know, I had them in the player grid, so I was already going to have one. And then start thinking through it. But I'll, I'm going to throw in two teams, and I'm going to have a couple DAC teams and just build around this game some. And now I'm going to – those are going to be low-owned plays, but I'm on them because I thought through them and liked the spot. And so for me – uh, that has always been a much more effective way to build. And so I think it's about finding, you know, we get so many rules in DFS. Well, do, do this. You have to do it this way. And everybody's personality interacts with DFS so differently. So uh, I, I think that that's a cool thing to realize, too. Like, for you, you're able to do uh, – you mentioned Hefe. He's good at that as well. You know, look at ownership and see, oh, well, this guy's projected at 2% owned, and he's a strong play, so I'm going to play this guy because of that. Whereas me, I have a harder time making that shift, and I have to come at it from, from the other angle. So 
uh, I think that that's a cool thing to, to recognize, like, okay, identify what works best for you and stick with that. There you go. And you and I, that's something we consistently talk about whenever we do podcasts together. Um, you know, for me, it's more, I'm looking for leverage, right? I want leverage, in, but I want it in each lineup. And it goes back to what I always talk about in best ball. I want to have risk in every lineup. I want to have floor. I want to have ceiling. And in DFS, I also want to have ownership. Um, and I think you can do all those things if you put in the time, energy, and effort. And I agree 100%. You know, I don't want to say you suffer from self-doubt because that wouldn't be fair. But you, you know, you're so, you know, I learned a long time ago that our strengths and our weaknesses tend to be on the same knob. In other words, you're so good at being analytical, but you can also be self-analytical to a point where it hurts you. And what you're saying here is you don't want to look at, 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 at ownership because you just want to be hyper-focused on the best plays and, and trust that, and your history is that you don't need that distraction because you'll get that naturally. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah. And I think that there are people who have come to the site because they sort of see things the same way, or you know, if they're following everything that I'm kind of putting out there on on one week season, because you know, realize that most people are subscribed to sites where they're getting um, where they're getting DFS content, which means people who are just DFS players and they have their their you know some stats they look at, but it's uh, it's a lot more based on Vegas lines and stuff like that, and, and it's not people who have necessarily a deep knowledge of football and the coaches and the defenses and how these teams interact. And so we do end up on some really unique lower-owned plays um, just by thinking through what's, you know, what's likely to happen in different games. And so uh, there are definitely different ways to approach it. But, but think through, you know, for any listeners, think through what, what makes the most sense to you and kind of gain whatever edges you can gain. So for me, that edge of ownership has proven to be detrimental as opposed to providing an edge. But if you can find that you, you find ways to add an edge with that, then you should absolutely hammer that edge. And I think that's the cool thing about, uh, you know, the different ways you can approach all this. Yeah, love it, love it. So, um, you know, the other thing that you and I always kind of talk about is takeaways. And one of my big takeaways from your angles pod this week was the conversation about Montgomery of the Bears and how – you know, you kind of felt, to use the poker term, pot committed to using him. And he killed me as well. I had 70% Monty. And as I got toward the end, you know, I'm not just saying it because you did. I started having doubts. You know, Mitchell Trubisky is horrible. And there was just a lot of ways that at 5,300 he could fail. And, and we fell into one of them. So uh, there's two takeaways, you know, where Ronald Jones, I just kept feeling, feeling stronger and stronger about. And if he hadn't have fumbled, he could have had a monster game. Uh, the other guy that I was on that I, I allowed myself, to, I talked myself off of was Kareem Hunt at 3000, you know, kind of. And I just kept thinking about how you would talk about, uh, you know, what's this player going to be priced in two weeks, right? 
And and there just didn't seem to be any scenario to me where Kareem Hunt wasn't at least 4,500 in a couple weeks. And I really thought that, you know, 10 to 15 points at 3,000 was what he was going to get. And I talked myself off of him and, and, and uh, in t- you know, and I, and I, even though I had doubts on Monty, I stuck with him. So my takeaway is, you know, I want to focus more on and make sure as I'm making my final lineups. And I asked Mark Garcia that question. The last thing I asked him today is, who is the players that you feel the absolute best about this week? And I think that each one of us as part of our process should think that way at the end, because the worst, you know, I came off of Lamar Jackson last minute and I felt really strong about him last week. And I stuck with Monty who I, at the end, I didn't feel that strong about. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. And also wanted to ask you now that you're a day past doing the angles pod, is there any Monty's, uh, for this week that you were higher on when you did that pod than you might be now or vice versa? No Montgomery's this week. And I think that that's uh, attributable to me kind of reassessing my process. You know, I talked about that whole working a little less hard thing, which is something you talked to me about in the off season, but uh, I've kind of reassessed my process to figure out how I can build off of everything I've already done. And so I feel really strongly this week about, uh, you know, where I'm, where I'm at heading into tonight. I have two teams completely finished and I have um, about half of my other 17 you know, halfway done and kind of have my players laid out. Um, the other thing there is it, it's odd. It's an odd thing psychologically because the lower owned, a player is the likelier that player is to win you a tournament. Right. And, and yet, it feels better to be wrong about a guy who's 50% owned than to be wrong about a guy who's one or 2% owned. And we can, not not for me. I, I, you know, I kick, you know, that's when I kick myself is when, you know, I go, I I go chalk and the chalk fails and you're thinking I'm a contrarian player. How did I not, especially if I go against my gut, yeah. So I think for me, and what I mean by that is when you're putting in your roster, there's this thought that sometimes clicks in of like, well, everyone's on this guy. And if everyone's right, then I'm screwed. You know, if, if I get this guy wrong, which that's very rarely the case. We had Will Fuller this year. That's the only time that you had like a play to put up such a high point per dollar score at super high ownership, you know, that you just had to have him. Um, but especially as, a content provider. And I actually, I watched a couple of videos that Osimo posted on his Twitter uh, that he's doing a thing, I think where he just drinks a bunch and then gives an off the wall play and posts it on Twitter. But, uh, but anyhow, you know, he's got some plays that are just really off the wall. I think I went back and watched like three or four weeks of these. And, um, and, and there's a thing as a content provider where you have a lot of people who, you know, they're not depending on your research information, but they are leaning on it that obviously Montgomery was a great play on paper last week. And so there's that thing where it's like, well, I'd you'd rather be wrong recommending Montgomery, who's obviously a good play, than be wrong recommending Kareem Hunt, who literally nobody was talking about. And then if he's wrong, then you got a bunch of people pissed off and saying, well, why were, why were we on Kareem Hunt? 
And that's something that I'm trying to get working actively to get over my line. I think Miles Sanders is part of that this week because I don't think that a lot of people will be on Miles Sanders. But just, you're absolutely right. You know, that when we can look at the research and say, well, sure, nobody else on this guy, but nobody else's research is as good as ours. So why would we not be on, on this guy? Those, I mean, if I'm not doing that, I'm not getting the edge that's available to me, right? Because like I said, I'm trying to get good plays just based on good plays as opposed to based on ownership. So then if I'm not taking those good plays when I find them, and I had Kareem Hunt last week, um, although I wish I'd had more of him than I had because I did really like the play. Uh, I, I had 8%. I, I ended up with 8%. When I had I had him in my main lineup originally, and I ended up with eight percent. The yeah, other guy exactly. was Andy Isabella. I I, I you know I, and I did have twenty percent Andy Isabella. You and those Cardinals, man. <laughs> well, it, I uh, mean, yeah. You you say that, but it, it hasn't. You know, DJ hasn't worked out, but Kyler certainly has. Oh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so it's. It's you know you got to be able to be willing to be wrong on things in order to win in DFS. And the more willing you are to be wrong on things, uh, the more you're going to win. Then and then the key is you know how do you then take that willingness and make sure you're still playing good plays. So for some people that can be looking at ownership and and being able to say well this is a good play low on. And then for others it's it's just avoiding. I mean you know you play long enough you have a sense of who nobody's going to be on. Uh, and being willing to say, well, it's a good play. I'm willing to be wrong on it, you know, and be the only person who's wrong on it. Because if I'm the only person who's right on it, it just takes one weekend to make your season, and that's what you should be chasing. Yeah, and it, it's real comforting to me that you're, you that you feel the same way on Sanders. If you remember the last time you were on, I was on Lindsay the week that he went off. That's right. And, yep. and, and, uh, you know, and, and every week I'm looking for those guys, and I think you have to. I think you have to try and find those two to three guys a week who can win you a GPP, and then think about the, the percentage that you want to own on that. Now, one of our listeners uh, asked, and I'm sorry if I don't get your name. Uh, it was a question on online since we're talking about uh, Miles Sanders. Uh, his question was, if Howard is out, does he become a tier one play for you? Oh, I mean, I mean, absolutely. But it's still a good defense, right? Like scoring expectations are still low. So you could get – it wouldn't be a shock if Sanders ends up with 12 or 13 points. Uh, so it's not like some guaranteed 25-point smash, but the floor and ceiling, the range of touches, the talent that he has, the way he matches up with the Patriots' slower linebackers, there's just a lot to like about Miles Sanders, and the only thing that's been holding him back is usage. Uh, so I'll actually prefer it uh, again. You know, if I'm hoping we don't get some Schefter bomb tonight that Howard's out, because then we'll have Miles Sanders chalk. But uh, hopefully we go in, you know, with with game time decision, or maybe he's expected to play, and then we hit, uh, you know, we hit late afternoon and maybe he's out and ownership just lower as a result, or maybe Howard plays, but doesn't play a full complement of snaps. That's what I'm, I'm hoping for. Yep. Uh, uh, me as well. Um, the two uh, guys that I put into that 
you know, no one is going to be on range. And if the game goes right, you know, have a little bit in GPP. One is Raheem Mostert. I think if that game uh, plays fast, uh, the card, you know, uh, I mean, he, he, he's a guy who can do it. And the other guy, and now he just jumped out of my head. Um, the second, he, he's going to be the pet. Oh, uh, Atlanta. Not the. Oh, Brian Hill. No, Barner. Oh, Barner. You know, because they don't want to throw the ball to Brian Hill. And if the game script goes that they get behind, and, you know, if what I'm reading is true, that Barner's going to be the pass catching back. Um, you know, that, that, you know, that could be a real, you know, again, we're not, we're talking about a guy who's going to be 1% owned who I'm talking about going four or 5% on. Um, I, I just wanted to throw those two guys out as, you know, we're talking about if a game goes this way uh, in a game that we expect to have a lot of points, Kenyon Barner and, and Raheem Mostert are both guys who can put up, uh, you know, enough points to make it worth to take a little bit of a slice of them, I think. Yeah, I think I, I throw McKissick in there too because um, if this turns into a pass-heavy game. Agreed. McKissick potentially getting seven, eight, uh, seven, eight targets. I will, I will note that I uh, a text that um, we're going to hear in a few hours that Howard will be out. So that's, uh, that's disappointing. Ajaye will play, but Howard will be out. So, um, Hopefully, just, people are on a jai. All right, let's yeah, go to the five one. Accordingly, I got one or two more things, but this one guy's been waiting a long time. Five one six four four five. You're on the air. What's up, one week season fam? Hey, <laughs> uh, you said, good. boy, that's a good hey, invitation. Hey. I'm I'm trying, man. Um, so my first question is sort of a general question. Um, I'm just going through my build and. I found myself in a spot where I'm actually going with Watson and then with Andrews and Marquise Brown. And something I occasionally find myself doing is I'll come to two receivers, whether it's a wide out and a tight end or two wide outs on the same team. Am I capping my upside by doing that? I feel like I am probably right. Well, again, it's that 65 to 85 points, and that's going to be different for Baltimore because Lamar accounts for so many points with, with his legs. But the uh, on a typical offense, if it gets concentrated, so if Andrews and Brown got most of the production, uh, they can go. I think we saw in week one they went for combined 50-55. So it's possible in this offense it's less likely, but it's certainly something that can happen. And okay. Andrews is going to right now is set for 10% ownership. And my rule is I, I want to at least go double on guys. So do I really mm-hmm. want to go double on a guy who's 6,100? Uh, not really. The, the guy that I really like is Marquise Brown. He's 8% ownership at 5,600. And he's a guy, you know, I'm always looking for that hidden upside, right? And the hidden upside is that Brown has not played a lot of snaps because he's been hurt. And last week he didn't play a lot of snaps because they blew out Cincinnati, as I think JM mentioned uh, in the edge. So I really like Marquise Brown this week. 
I mean, we know he has game-breaking ability. This is a game that could really go back and forth. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if Marquise Brown had two touchdowns tomorrow. Jam? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's super viable for the upside. I would definitely prefer to play one over the other. Um, I'm with you there. All right. Thank you for the call. Uh, we're getting a little tight on time. Uh, although we could run over, it wouldn't be live, but people could hear it after. Uh, I got two more questions for you, Jay, and then we'll do a couple more questions. You know, I put Debo Samuel in that uh, same range as as uh, Sanders with Howard. I, I, I almost hope that Manny Sanders does play. Because it's, you know, when you've got a rib, it's very easy to get that tweaked. And if they get ahead, I don't think they're going to have Sanders out there. I, 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 I know you said in the edge that you're, you know, you're more on Debo if Sanders is out. I just wanted to throw out there and get your thoughts on playing him regardless. Yeah, so we got the, uh, there's another one that I got that was in the text is uh, Sanders, will, Sanders is going to play. So I think that Debo, I think what I said was if they, I like Debo more in tournaments if Sanders plays. Or I said it in angles, uh, and I like Bourne more if Sanders is out because that's, that's getting a lower owned guy. So I'm with you. I think that uh, Debo's ownership will plunge uh, with Sanders playing, and then you know that'll ultimately lead to he's still out on the field. He's still probably getting six, seven, eight, nine targets. So uh, I'm with you there. Uh, last question for me, and then we'll get to the 620 person, and then I've got a couple other uh, written questions that people sent in. Uh, you know, I haven't heard anyone on the Patriots' defense this week. They're the lowest that they've been in a while. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on playing the Patriots' defense? Yeah, my uh, my buddy Pat asked me that uh, earlier this evening. Pat, who said he was going to call in if he could get away from family birthday dinner, but uh, – yeah, like I said, I'm going to have uh, at least two Patriots defense rosters. I trust Doug Peterson enough that uh, I, you know, it's harder for me to see just an absolute smash, but I definitely am going to get some exposure to the Patriots defense because they're just too good that if they're low-owned, you want to have some exposure to them for sure. Uh, basically, they're too good. You want to have exposure to them in any spot. And, and yeah, one bad game against Lamar Jackson and everybody's jumping off of them. But uh, absolutely, even on the road, even against Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, uh, it's a banged-up Eagles team. I like the Patriots' defense this week. Yeah, and, and Wentz, Wentz is, you know, he is definitely someone who has pick sixes in his range of outcomes. Uh, six, uh, let's go to six two zero seven eight nine. You are on the air with JM to win. Hi, guys. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Hey, just wanted to mention very much, I really appreciate Jam. A couple of weeks ago, you had mentioned you had grown up uh, a little poor, and my family and I are having a little bit tougher time financially lately. So I really appreciate that you're trying to keep the cost down uh, on the things that you provide. The slate-specific question I have is about Julio Jones. You just didn't mention a ton about him in the article, and I don't if I'm honest, know enough about actual football other than fantasy to judge, is he a good player or not this week? Uh, yeah. So first of all, on that, on that first note, uh, cool of you to mention that. And I think that there's a tendency because we talked in 
there's a lot of posturing in DFS, and we're you know we're talking about well throwing ten thousand dollars into this and twelve thousand dollars into that. Uh, it can it can sound like oh these people just have money and um, you know it, I think that it would be refreshing for me to realize like okay well somebody built this this money and it's possible to do that and uh, and so yeah it's cool to be able to share that as well. Uh, Julio's the you know, we laid out in the NFL Edge what he's done against Bradbury in his last four matchups. And it's just that, the, for me, the Panthers don't allow a lot of touchdowns to wide receivers. Um, but with, with Hooper out, with Freeman out, it, it seems likely that this is one of those games where they throw to Julio 12 or 13 times. And what we've seen in the past, there have been multiple, uh, at least two games in the last two years against the Panthers, where Julio had 12, 11, 12, 13 targets and had like six catches for 100 yards. And so we're kind of looking at a likeliest scenario of something like that. I think that Julio gets close to or over 100 yards, uh, which is solid if we take price out of the equation. At his price, uh, he's, the targets will be there. The yardage should find its way. Uh, he's going to need to hit for more than just six for 100 and no touchdowns, though, obviously. So you're, you're still needing him to hit for the touchdown uh, or multiple big plays. So I think that he's a solid play. Uh, I am going to have a little bit of Julio, but it will be on rosters that are betting on that game. Uh, and I'm, I'm not going to be betting on Julio on rosters that are centered around other games is the way I'm playing it. So I'll get a little exposure to him. And I'll say this, I like players who, you know, even if they fail at their price, they're not really failing. And uh, it's one reason why Julio is always a little risky because, they spread the ball around so much, but there are, there are weeks where Julio is getting 12, 13 points, and you just can't have that at 7,500. But on a week like this, uh, something around 18 to 20 points is probably, uh, you know, at least 60% of the time, 70% of the time, is getting a score in that range because they're going to pass and they just don't have uh, all their pieces to pass to. And so uh, I like Julio as a guy that you know, he's less likely to hit the monster game you need, but uh, he's also unlikely to kill you if he misses. And so uh, I definitely want to get some of him, but it's going to be built around, you know, like I said, I'm doing 19 rosters. I'm going to have one Matt Ryan roster, one Kyle Allen roster. Um, and then I'm mixing and matching, you know, Panthers across most, most rosters and uh, Falcons to a lesser extent, maybe about half my rosters. And I'll have Julio on a, on a couple of them. Thank you for the call. I had to let you go because I'm trying to get a, uh, a few other things in. The other thing about uh, uh, I'm on gauge. I think the price is just too cheap. You mentioned if he fails, what are the chances that he doesn't give you eight to 10 points? Pretty slim. Um, so, uh, you know, I've got gauge in my main lineup right now. Uh, the other thing about Julio is that even when, He's not in a great matchup or, you know, you've got Bradbury uh, on the other side. Julio always comes with ownership. So, you know, again, if you want leverage on Julio, you, you got to go about 35, 40%. And, and that, you know, that's, as JM said, that's really hard to do with a guy who, who you know, who, who fails as often as he does. JM, we got a question from John Graff. He says, He's wondering this week if you could address how you determine what to put in your flex. 
JM usually likes running back. Last weekend, I think Mark Garcia talked about using two tight ends. Look at the winning lineups last week. It seemed like a lot had a wide receiver. This week in the angles pod, JM put in a wide receiver. Do you have any rules for the flex? For me, JM, it's real simple. I want to play the best plays. And, you know, however I can fit the most good plays in, I prefer a running back if it makes sense, but I am not afraid to go wide receiver or tight end if uh, if that'll make my overall team better. Yeah, and it, it uh, you know, you'd love to be able to give a more hard and fast rule on something like that, but that's exactly the way I look at it is that flex spot is your flexibility spot. And so it's trying to get the best plays, but also trying to get the best roster. So sometimes the maybe the best there, there's not two cheap tight ends who are the best plays, but maybe there are just really strong plays up at the top. And you want to try to fit in five of these guys that you think can go for 30 to 40 points. And the way to do that is to take two tight ends who can, you know, they both cost about 3k. They're probably both getting you 10 to 12 points, but they, you know, have a shot at 15 to 20. And so every week's just a little bit different, and it's it's kind of seeing what's available on the slate. And so the reason why running back, and it's been a lot less so this year, I've maybe used running back in the flex. Uh, on my main roster, uh, maybe 40% of the time, maybe half the time. But in the past, when we had all these pass-catching running backs that were not so overpriced, we were able to basically maximize our points by getting that running back in the flex. And we've had a lot of weeks a number of weeks where there, I really wish we could just play one running back, you know, lately. <laughs> and so because of that, then those weeks, I'm not looking to squeeze an extra running back in the flex. So like you said, Todd, it's who are the best plays and how can I get as many of those on my roster as, as possible. Floor and ceiling, floor and ceiling, and mix in a little bit of risk and a little bit of ownership and uh, hope for the best. So, uh, we've got about three minutes left before we go off the air, but I do want to get, there's one more caller and I do want to get a couple more questions. If we go off the air, the way it works is uh, it takes blog talk about 10 minutes to get uh, the podcast up. So you'll be able to fast forward from the original link and, and just catch anything that you miss at the end. So uh, Jam, let's get to the last caller. Uh, I think this is a friend who calls in pretty often. 610-368, you're on the air. Are you there? All right, well. Hello, can you hear me? Hello. Oh, there we go. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, it's Rob hey. Hood uh, from, from Upper Darby. How you doing, Todd? Hey, Jam. Um, hey. So I'm looking uh, – I'm kind of an ownership guy too. I kind of uh, don't like to see um, guys at the top. So I'm targeting right now, uh, just for example, the Oakland game. And a lot of their players are at the top. And I'm also seeing Deron Washington, I, I don't know, top 10 there too. Going back through the whole season, it seems like the Oakland Raiders – are a team that try to get contributions from everyone. That's what it seems like Gruden's trying to do, you know, kind of case in point last week, I think, or the week before he got the fullback a touchdown. Um, 
And knowing Cincinnati takes away kind of your best player, I think at least that's what they try to do. Would you be kind of fading the players there on the Oakland side? Because it's kind of almost like a a committee type situation running back. They don't really have great receivers and even Foster Moreau is kind of in the mix to take snaps and maybe targets away. So the, uh, kind of the core idea behind the Raiders offense is they want to build from the run game out. And so they built this big, powerful offensive line. Uh, most of their passes are built off of play action or off of run looks. Uh, that's why they have a lot of two tight end sets and they can kind of get the defense in a run defense matchup and then get the mismatch with the tight ends. And so uh, for me, the only, the, the only dependable pieces on this offense are Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller. Darren Waller, because regardless of volume for the Raiders' passing attack, they're trying to make sure to get him at least, you know, his five, six, seven, eight targets per game. Uh, I do think that Waller Waller is a little overpriced for his actual role, right? He's mostly seeing his targets four, five, six yards downfield. And so five, six, seven, eight targets, four, five, six yards downfield isn't getting you much unless he breaks several tackles or gets, you know, a downfield pass. And so at his price and the ownership he typically carries, I see Waller as the kind of player who is going to hit a couple times, you know, throughout the season, but ownership is going to be there all the time. And so I'm fine missing the couple times he hits to fade all the times where he's getting 10, 10 points, 12 points at 5,500. Uh, Jacobs, I think, is just a really sharp play. And so you still have you know, these coaches, uh, Sean Payton's another one, John Gruden, who close to the end zone, and, and you got to think the hardest place to run a successful play is close to the end zone. And so that's why you see some of these really smart coaches, some of these really smart teams, they end up producing touchdowns to random players. Uh, the Colts do the same thing. The Patriots do the same thing. And these are – most of the right. smartest coaches in football. And, and that's because they get down there and it's like, okay, what is the defense not expecting? Um, but for me, the, the core of this offense is Josh Jacobs and Josh Jacobs is going to get his 20 plus touches um, no matter what. And so the Bengals will obviously look to take out Waller and the Raiders might not have to throw a ton. So I like Jacobs quite a bit. And then everybody else on this offense, it's been like that for me kind of all year, everyone else on this offense is just a little more dart throwy, and anytime ownership goes up on them, uh, I want to go down on those guys. So um, I got to thank you for the call, um, JM. The the hardest decision for me in my lineup right now is I've kind of got McCaffrey locked, and I've kind of got Miles Sanders locked. So that only leaves one more running back spot, and I like both Zeke Elliott and Josh Jacobs a lot. Right now, I know you have both of them in the same tier, but you're talking about lineups. How many lineups right now do you anticipate having each of these two players on? That is a great question that I will not have the answer to until uh, later tonight. I will say I have, I have two rosters saved, two of my 19 saved, and both of them have Jacob so far, and neither of them were ones where – I built around Jacob. So I think it's like this. I won't really build around either guy because, I mean, like, 
like you said, CMC is locked into your roster. I want to get up to CMC if I can get up to Zeke. But there's going to be some rosters where just the way I'm building, it makes sense. And so I think that Jacobs was like the seventh guy I put in on one of the rosters and literally the ninth guy I put in on the other where it was like, okay, I've got defense and, and my second running back spot left. And I realized that, in fact, I used the Raiders' defense as well. And I had exactly enough to say, all right, the Raiders' defense, they're not, they don't have a great pass rush. They don't have a great secondary, but they're playing thinly. Nobody's going to be on them. Uh, you know, pick six opportunities could show up. And so I'm going to throw Jacobs and the Raiders defense on this roster. And again, that's my eighth and ninth spot. So I already have seven things that I was building around, feel really good about. I'm taking on a little more risk with the Raiders defense, but I'm countering it with a play I really like in Josh Jacobs. Uh, I would imagine that when it's all said and done, I'll probably have uh, five Jacobs rosters and three Zeke rosters. I think Zeke at his price, uh, being so close to McCaffrey. And then the fact that, you know, with Stafford out, I think that everybody's going to move to Zeke and nobody's really going to be on this Cowboys passing attack, which uh, the Lions are so aggressive in their mindset that there's still a decently high likelihood that the points for the Cowboys actually flow through Dak and Amari or Dak and Gallup or Dak and both. So I'm going to have one Dak, Dak Gallup, Amari team, I'm going to have one Dak and Amari, one Dak and Gallup, and then I might even have, you know, Amari and Gallup in one or two other spots. So that's kind of how I'm approaching that game is I think that Zeke's going to be over-owned because, I mean, look, I think he hasn't topped 30 points yet this year. You know, he's gotten close several times. Maybe he's just barely hit 30, but you need about 35 from him at his price, and and he costs so much. You need 1,600 more to get up to McCaffrey, where are you spending that other 1600 that you're getting, you know, better value and, and higher certainty? And so, yeah, I think that just the way that everything is set up, I like Zeke a lot as a play, but the way things set up from, from a strategy perspective, Zeke is a guy that uh, is going to be less of a priority. So I think I'd guess about five, six Jacobs and maybe three Zeke. You know, it's interesting because <clears throat> I'm going to have way more of – whichever one I put in my main lineup. Unlike you this week, I really do like a team for single entry and I feel I'm real close. So I'm going to have a main build. Um, But as you were talking, you know how sometimes things click and all of a sudden you just know. And, 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 And the truth is that Zeke is more of a GPP play. Because even your words, Zeke could, uh, on the on the grid, Zeke could have the highest score on the slate. Yeah, but he could also, you know, give you 18 points for 9,000. Uh, where Jacobs, floor-wise, you know, you have to feel like is going to be pretty close. And how much can you upgrade the rest of your roster with that, you know, 60, you know, 2,100 hours? That's pretty significant. So um, I think I got my answer. I am going to have to figure out how to uh, put Jacobs in and Zeke out uh, into my main. And, you know, uh, ownership right now on Zeke doesn't look that heavy. It's about 13%. If that stays that way Sunday morning, I, I still think I might be over. Uh, but that, uh, but it, it was funny. You didn't even get to the crescendo when I got my epiphany. And then what you said <laughs> kind of, reiterated what I had already understood. That was pretty cool. Um, 
I want to throw out um, Haskins and McLaurin. You know, I, I you want to talk about, a, a, you know, something that could be a disaster, but there's going to be no ownership on it. The Jets have been awful, and McLaurin has shown a, a, a very good ceiling. Haskins has played with him before. He had two very tough matchups. He doesn't look ready, but if anyone could make him look ready, it's a slow set of cornerbacks on the Jets with Terry McLaurin. Uh, what are your thoughts on that one? I think it's. I think that there are clear cases to be made that it's a sharp play. When I was kind of laying out my exposures last night or getting ready to, I realized, you know, kind of looking through things one last time, I realized, man, the, the Jets' offense is, is one thing and the Redskins' offense is one thing that really didn't make it onto the player grid. And I mentioned, you know, maybe McLaurin and Robbie on the same roster in the uh, angles pod. But uh, – so I started thinking, well, do I want to sacrifice one of these rosters to the Jets and Redskins? And for me, I decided no, because, you know, you have to take a stand in places. And the, the way these coaches are running their team just leads me to believe we're not going to see the big plays hit. And so, again, McLaurin's dot on the year looks good. But his routes since Callahan has taken over have been primarily short area. He's got no targets 20 yards downfield, which is just an insane example of bad coaching to not use McLaurin in that area. So could that change this week? Yes. But uh, at his price and, you know, with Haskins and with the way these teams are wanting to run things, I see Callahan as the kind of coach who is just going to keep running the ball with Peterson and Geis and I see Gase, who I was obviously very wrong on this year. I see Gase uh, just trying to keep this game close rather than attacking. And so I, I think that Vegas has it right at, you know, a 20 to 18 game. And there are ways that it can go very differently. And so I might end up giving myself one spot where I have Robbie and McLaurin on the same team, because if one hits, the other might be forced to hit as well. But uh, they're certainly not priorities for me. And I think that there's, there's very clear cases to be made that McLaurin is a sharp play. Uh, I think there are also very clear cases to be made that he's not a sharp play. Another way, too, that I, I, mean, I want to look at things is my overall exposure. And so we're, you know, two weeks left from the end of the, quote, regular season in the best ball championship, and McLaurin is one of my highest-owned players there. And so for me, my thought is, well, if McLaurin hits, I have my McLaurin exposure because we're coming down the stretch and trying to get first place out of 12 teams over there. Um, and so I'm comfortable missing out on him in DFS if he hits just because there are other plays that I like quite a bit more. Yeah, I, you know, for me, and this is where ownership comes into play, I looked at Driscoll and he's about 8% owned. And again, so I look at it and I say, I think Driscoll is a very good play. Uh, and I get why you would be on him over Haskins because he's a better play. You know, he just is. I mean, there's, there's no arguing that. But I, I would want 16% of Driscoll to, to make that move. And I'm, I'm not going to do that. Where Haskins is, uh, you know, right now less than 1% owned. So I can go, you know, and and this is where, again, you playing a much higher dollar lineup 
you know, I'm going to be putting these into the slant and the play action, nine and three dollars. You know, if I throw 20 bucks at uh, at uh, McLaurin Haskins stack and it doesn't hit, I'm not going to feel bad about it one one bit. So what's my point? My point is a ownership uh, for me and B, you know, back to what you were talking about earlier, as far as, you know, your style and building fit teams that fit your style, Driscoll makes way more sense for what you're doing, where Haskins makes more sense for what I'm doing, where it truly is, you know, I'm playing a tournament with 170,000 entries and, you know, or, you know, I think the slant is like 75 or something, you know, I'm, you know, I want that guy who's going to, you know, if, if Haskins goes for 25 and McLaurin gets 30, you know, that's how I might get to that top spot in a, 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 in a deep field where for you playing, you know, trying to win a wildcat, you, you need good plays. Makes sense? Yeah, I think that's a, a sharp point, too, is we, we don't often discuss what we are. You know, there's one thing I realized last year that for years in the round table, the square table, we never really defined even what types of contests we were talking about. And that creates such a broad range, right? Like the play that you need to beat 170,000 entries compared to the play you need to beat 3,000 entries is is different, and I think that in a in a tournament like the Slant or the Millie Maker, I think that Haskins and McLaurin are sharp. And like you said, you don't have to go; you can go two percent of them, and you're still way ahead of the field. Um, and again, I have some Haskins in in best ball championship that I took in the 18th round, thinking, well, if he's the starter at the end of the season, nobody's going to have him if he hits the big game. Um, so I'm all, I'm on board for a big Haskins McLaurin game because it's certainly helping me, but uh, I will not have it on one of my Wildcat rosters. Yeah, no, and, and that makes that makes a ton of sense. Um, all right, let's finish up by asking you about you, you know uh, your best ball rosters. Uh, what's your, have you checked your winning percentage? Yeah, so I'm at uh, so pass through rate one out of twelve. You got to finish first place. Uh, pass through rate would be about 8% and about uh, 12% of my teams are in first place right now. So feeling good and uh, hoping that we close out. I've got uh, another 12% that are in second place. So uh, hoping we can push that even higher and, and hoping it doesn't fall lower, but uh, lots can happen in the last, in the last couple of weeks of the regular season would love to pass through uh, a, a good 12 to 15% of those teams and just be way ahead of uh way ahead of the field. It's a weird thing. I talked about this on the chat pod actually uh, last night. It's weird. You know, it's like being a baseball player. It's like, well, I got out 70% of the time I'm in the hall of fame. You know, it's like uh, 88% of my rosters from three, four weeks of drafting around the clock, 88% of those rosters are going to be dead uh, in a couple of weeks. And yet I will be ahead of the field, potentially 50% ahead of the field rate of pass through. And, and that's just, you know, the way that you play those. So uh, hoping that we close out strong these last couple of weeks, get some, uh, get some McLaurin going tomorrow. That'll help me out. Yeah. I've got uh, right now uh, best ball. Uh, the main tournament, I've got six out of about 42 passing through. And nice, I've nice, got a, nice. a number in second place. So um you know, I'm hopeful there. But in the mini, 
I think I'm nine out of like 40 something. So, I, you know, I'm I running actually, about almost. What, what's that? I, I actually randomly, I, I only did, I think, 12 of the, the um, I don't even know what it's called, the mega, the 125. And I'm sitting on two of those teams. So I'd love, you and I can kind of pass through 20% and those will both be pretty happy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, and, 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 the, and the thing is, though, that I built these teams with double, double team stacks, right? So, you know, I'm big game hunting. I'll, you know, I, I've got, and I've got a lot of uh, Lamar Jackson with, you know, pretty cheap Mark Andrews, Marquise Brown, and Boykin. Uh, you know I've got a lot of the Cardinals. Um, I've got, you know, so uh, I definitely got some uh, Tampa Bay. So uh, I even got, you know, I, I threw in like a couple Raiders with, uh, you know, with a car and, uh, and the Cardinals. So, you know, if I do get through and I can get to the last day, de- you know, the last day, you know, I, uh, I've, I've got some, some, some mind bending stacks uh, going. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, we went way over. Uh, I think there might be one more question. Do you got another minute? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, now this is uh, I got we got two more, and they're and they're both uh, they're both fantasy draft questions, and I'm glad that you're here because I don't focus out on this at all. If I make a lineup, it's like, hey, I'm going to show up, and uh, even the even the the five dollar tournament we did, I passed through the first week and forgot to set a lineup last week. Um, <laughs> Hope you are doing well. I'm looking forward to the podcast tonight. I've been gifted a $25 ticket for Fantasy Draft, top prize of $35,000, and I would like to play to get to the top, not just min cash. Is there any plays or advice that you can help with? Yeah, I mean, read the NFL Edge and go through the player grid and angles pod. I think, I mean, (laughs) really – Everything on the uh, for fantasy draft is you know the same as uh, DraftKings. Pricing is so similar, scoring is exactly the same. So the, and you know we're avoiding the Sunday night game this week. I'm I'm sure most of you are on board with me uh, there. And so it's it's just taking uh, taking a game that you think you know can pop off and build around that, and thinking through how the plays fit together. But also think through a few games because the, the best way you're going to target first place is to say, okay, um, so I'm building around this game, but I also thought through these two other games I like, and so I'm going to take uh, one or two pieces from this game, one or two pieces from this game, and just give yourself a shot at really capturing a lot of upside. Uh, the more upside you can capture, or, or the more upside you can expose yourself to, the, the higher your chances are of that first place finish. Yeah, and again, I, I again, uh, you know, you you we do have ownership projections on the site. We don't have them for fantasy draft per se, but you, you, from looking at it, you can get a good sense of who's going to be owned Absolutely, and who's yeah. not. And 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 just make sure, like a good drink, you're mixing in, uh, you know, some good plays that were on that you don't expect the field to be on. And, and, you know, it's kind of funny because when I did play a lineup uh, in the, uh, you know, the one-week season contest, I went off grid. I played all the plays that I liked that weren't on the grid. 
Well, why did I do that? I did that because you, you know, or at least I put some plays in that weren't on the grid. And the reason is when you're, you know, and think about this, if you're in a, a, a league with a bunch of people who all get their information from the same place, if you've got some good plays that come from a different source or from your own thinking, that, you know, that's a great way to win uh, contests when, you know, because most sites have these kind of contests. So uh, that's my thought on that. Uh, anything else, Jam? No, and I think that Survivor, any of you who are in it, uh, the way I'm playing it is just, you know, top 70% go through each week. So I'm just playing things really sharp and by the book these weeks to keep passing through. And then the week five, the last week, um, you know, again, we're all using the same research. So like you said, I'm going to try to go off the board and uh, try to see what I can do to really hit that first place payout uh, in that week five spot. Uh, last question is another fantasy draft. And I don't know that based on your other comment, you're going to have anything, but Kevin Singer asks, is there any players defenses worth looking at in the Rams bears game for fantasy draft? Uh, no, and, and we, we include them always include them on the player grid, uh, just in there with everything else, and notate that it's fantasy drafts. But uh, no, in that game, you know, read up Zandemir's write up to see how ugly that game is. But, uh, you know, as far as like sharp, sharp plays, so crazy things can happen, but as far as sharp plays, uh, nothing I'm going to there. All right, that's going to do it. JM, thank you very much. Uh, it was great having you back on. And, uh, Hopefully, as you like to say, we will see each other near the top of the leaderboard. Always a blast to be here, Taurus. All right. That's going to do it, folks. Um, I will send out a tweet now and uh, let everyone know we finished. So it'll be about 10, 15 minutes, and you'll be able to hear that last segment. Uh, That's going to do it. We'll see you next week.